So I was thinking about music today. You know, I was reading uh, Karl Marx. I like to read every morning different books by great thinkers. And uh, Karl Marx was talking about the opiate of the masses. You know, that's what he called religion. And, uh, you know, I think Karl Marx was wrong. I think we know that now. I mean, this, and I'm not here to talk about religion today, but the real question to me is, what else is the opiate of the masses? And for me, the takeaway from, you know, Karl Marx is that he was saying there's things that distract us from the bigger purpose. So if you look out in the world right now, what's the biggest legal drug? You know, I live in California, so marijuana is legal, but it's illegal in most places in the world, right? Cocaine, blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what's the most powerful drug in the world at work every day in the hearts and minds of billions of people. It's music. You know, I live right here in Hollywood in the heart of the music capital, right? You got all the music being pushed out here. Like I said, for a while, Katy Perry here lived on my street. It's This is all music town. Too Short lives on my street. Uh, Ringo Starr has a house here for the Beatles. And it has become, and for your life, if you're not careful, it can become one of the most powerful distractants. Now, I read an interesting book today. It's called uh, Your Mind uh, on Music. And it's by this Professor Levitin, uh, or it's called This Is Your Brain on Music, sorry. It's by this Daniel Levitin. And it's a fascinating book. I mean, definitely, it's on my website if you want to pick it up. Uh, there's a link to it. It's on tylopez.com or you can check it out on Amazon. And uh, he just basically goes through why music is so integral to our life. Because there's a famous uh, professor, Harvard professor, Steven Pinker, and he's well known for recently saying music is useless, right? That was his kind of quote that he said, and it became very controversial, but he had a lot. Uh, he was backing it up by basically saying, it's a pretty interesting quote. He says, you know, uh, music is useless. It's just a cocktail of recreational drugs that we ingest through our ears to simulate a mass of pleasure circuits at once. Music could vanish from our species and the rest of our lifestyle would be virtually unchanged. Dr. David Buss, in his uh, amazing book, textbook, Evolutionary Psychology, has a whole section on music. But, you know, Steven Pinker probably, and of course, it sounds cocky of me to say a Harvard professor has it wrong, but I think a lot of uh, scientists out there, a lot of sociologists, anthropologists, evolutionary psychologists, and neuro, neuro, uh, neurobiologists would agree that he took it too far. For example, there is a purpose to uh, having uh, music as part of our lives. Whether you look at it today in your life or whether you go back looking at its adaptive purposes in the past. I mean, babies, fascinatingly enough – don't think like we think. So babies up until a certain point in their life, I think it's called synesthetic uh, thought, right? So they do not think kind of like they're eating something and go, mmm, this tastes good. They, the, the author says basically when a baby eats cheddar cheese, they could be perceiving that taste of cheese the same way you and I per, uh, hear a Kanye West song. 
like a D flat or something. It's amazing. So music evolved and adapted one to allow us to perceive the environment that's around us. It evolved from movement. You know, hip hop became big because, uh, we are hardwired deep in our brain to respond to rhythm on the, in the African savannah generations and thousands of generations ago, people used, learned to move by listening and imitating rhythms, whether it was going to battle or just dancing around the fire. I mean, music evolved in order to allow men to attract women. It's pretty interesting because the ability to perceive music and rhythm properly has been shown uh, to uh, to be correlated to healthy people. So someone who has a mental problem, schizophrenia, for example, can't respond to music as well as somebody who has a clear mind. So when a man was dancing, showing off to a woman, okay, or even making music, drumming, whatever it might be, and we still see that in the modern world, right? Men who can make music, women are attracted to them, whether it's Elvis Presley or Adam Levine, right? So back then, your ability to do that was a, a gauge. It was a signal you yelling out, to the world, to women who are watching you, look, I'm healthy, I'm fit, look what I can do. There's also a theory that maybe whenever, like a peacock, that a male peacock that can grow these huge feathers, uh, you know, this huge tail, which seemingly has no purpose, but the purpose is the fact that it has no purpose, okay? Because it shows a female, I'm so healthy, I can divert my resources my energy into growing a big peacock tail in the same way there's a theory that men who are able to be creative musically are also displaying to other people that i'm so healthy i'm so well built that i can spend my time you know picking at this guitar picking at this piano this thing about music goes deep that's why you don't want to oversimplify some people try to oversimplify music by saying oh it's the best thing and everything's music and blah, 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 you know, and I think that's an extreme and other people like Pinker are saying music's not important. It's like everything on your quest for the grand theory of life, right? The grand theory of everything. You're trying to figure out the good life. You've got the three main pillars of your life that are by far the most important thing, right? It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're not going to care about music if you don't have health, wealth, and love in your life. It's not going to matter. But once you have those three, then music begins to serve an, a purpose that goes above and beyond. I call music one of the intangibles. And the fourth leg of the grand theory of everything, and I talk about that, you know, that's part of what I talk about. My whole central theme of what my message for the world and for you is, is the grand theory of everything helps you find the good life. And the good life is this health, wealth, Love, but the fourth is happiness, and happiness is filled with all these intangibles, right? And one of those is art, and music is a category of art. So art is important. Music is important. We're built to be more well-rounded than people who just you know, do sit-ups, make money, and have a few friends. There's more to life. There are things like art. There's you know the whole aesthetics. The Greeks talked about this, right? They taught about beauty, whether it be in architecture, whether it be in the symmetry of a face, whether it be in 
the symmetry and the rhythms and the cadences and tempos of good music. And music, it's interesting. You know, if you look at music, like you take a Beatles song, why do we remember that song? I think there's a lot of lessons for you, whether you be a business person or whether you're just somebody, you know, who just loves music. There's still a lesson for both categories of people because interestingly enough, let's say you're a business. What is What are the things that attract customers to you? Well, it's having a message that's a blend of complexity and simplicity. People like to listen to messages that give them new insight, right? Which is a measure of, which is a complexity. But yet if it's too complicated, nobody wants to listen to it. So in the same way, the music that's been pushed out and at, which has spread virally through the world, whether it's Rihanna songs or the Beatles or Elvis Presley or Michael Jackson, it's this type of music. Let's take Michael Jackson. He creates complexity. He's got some sounds like El, uh, the Beatles had that, the, the song Yester, uh, yesterday. And usually music, music falls this four or eight uh, kind of bar uh, uh, cadence and, and rhythm and structure. And that one deviates from it. So you ne- it's like you think it's going to end. You think it's going to start. You never know. Yet the chords are simple enough, especially the Beatles. It's simple enough that you feel familiar because one of the things mil- music is created to do, it adapt. Uh, we adapted uh, our brains to use music for the purpose of memory and understanding. That's why people with Alzheimer's, believe it or not, there's people with Alzheimer's can't remember a thing. They're 90 years old. They can, can't remember the name of their kids. They can't remember their wife. But if you turn on a song that they listen to when they're 14 years old, that nostalgic part of the brain begins to work, right? The amygdala part of the brain, which is tied to emotions, the cerebellum. Those are the two areas activated, according to this book, primarily when you listen to music. So music serves this adaptive purpose of not all these, only these other things like teaching us, blah, blah, but, but it also teaches us memory. It also teaches us, it links events to emotions. And by doing that, it makes, uh, you, your brain have a backup for memory. We have two eyes for a reason because we evolved to know that there's a chance you're doing something and bam. Something happens to one of your eyes. My dad's blind in one eye. He was in a bar fight and a guy came, a friend of the guy my dad was in a fight with, came from behind and took a bottle and smashed my dad in the back of the head. And when my dad woke up, he couldn't see out of his, I think, his right eye. So, But you know, he has two eyes. So in the same way, our memory has backups so that we don't have single points of failure. And one of those backups, or so the theory goes, could be music. Music allows us to not use logic always to remember things because as you could see with somebody who has Alzheimer's, sometimes you lose the logical part of your brain that allows you to quote unquote remember things logically, right? But with music, it's tying in this whole. So again, we see time after time, music serving a purpose that at skin deep level, uh, you, you is easy to overlook. And again, it serves lessons. I mean, as I read that book, I began to think, man, that's it. That's the messages that spread virally. They're not so simple like the song, uh, I don't know, when you're a little kid, you hear like, I don't know, the happy birthday song. 
Nobody wants to listen to that song because everybody knows it. But yet, it serves a purpose in our memories. But in terms of mass appeal that we're listening to all day, we're not going to listen to that song. But people might listen to a Michael Jackson song over and over and over. Why? Because it's more complex. So whatever message you're trying to spread, I think the lesson that music teaches you is make sure you add complexity, but you can go too far. Think about some avant-garde or like some modern classical music. It's so much dissonance. It's so much weird chords and weird kind of progressions that nobody wants to hear that guess what? Nobody listens to it. There's a fine line between Justin Bieber, Rihanna, Pink, and, you know, Schubert. Or Tchaikovsky, if you look at some of the greatest classical music that we still listen to, I like Bach, you know? Bach, I think, is generally considered the greatest musician of all time. His stuff had a level of simplicity to it, yet there was enough unexpected to keep you on your toes. And it's interesting, this bleeds over into every area of life. Think about this, health. If you're working out, okay, with a personal trainer, and you always do 20 push-ups every day. Guess what? Your body acclimates to it and your muscles don't grow. You're not pushing it. You're not pushing it uh, in a sense that your, your body basically just builds that one little muscle and doesn't round out your full physique. So if you look at things that people are doing now health-wise – like CrossFit, it's constantly bringing in new things, new insight, new complexity, lifting a tire, you know, that's something you wouldn't normally do. Lifting one rep, one time, that's hard. And that's just like the lesson of music, the complexity of how you deal with your physical health brings more value, brings you get a bigger uh, bang for the buck in the same way business. If you're a business person, you have to add a level of, of complexity without going too far. Once again, when you go too far, nobody listens to you. If I told you in my business, hey, look, I leverage social media to, to accelerate pro processes on a Six Sigma level, you'd be like, what in the world are you talking about, right? So I need to have an insightful business that makes you – Right now, I think in America, there's 20 or 30 million small businesses. You got to differentiate yourself by having a level of complexity that's going to, people are going to go, ooh, I've never heard of that. But at the same time, it can't be too complicated. It can't be like a classical piece of music by, you know, Schopenhauer, somebody that nobody, or Wagner, or something that's so complicated or so kind of dark that nobody want, really listens to it as much, right? And I, hopefully I didn't offend anybody who likes Wagner or somebody, but just throwing out there different examples. And in your love life, it's interesting. Dr. Helen Fisher, the famous uh, uh, psychologist, or, or I guess she's a sociologist, anthropologist that studies love. She built helped build Match.com and build out their, their matching site called Chemistry.com. She says, what's the number one uh, attractant to men and women? It's a little bit of mystery, a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of complexity. So it's funny how in the grand theory of everything, as you begin to study these quote-unquote seemingly different things, how to work out, how to make money, how to attract somebody romantically, and music, you find all these close correlations. So I think that's a super important thing 
uh, that we rem- that I mean, that's the big takeaway that I took. I also took away, you know, that that um, everything that exists usually exists for a purpose. I hear people saying things like in this case, Steven Pinker's like, well, you know, music serves no purpose as far as he can tell. They used to say that about your tonsils, right? Tonsils serve no purpose. Well, then they found out because they started removing tonsils from everybody that they did serve a purpose. So I believe that things, um, for the most part, I mean, there are some things that are called byproduct adaptions, like your belly button. The reason you have a belly button is because you had an umbilical cord. The actual belly button itself probably doesn't serve a huge purpose anymore. But on the big picture things, when you talk about something as widespread, when when it comes to music, they they found a flute 50,000 years ago. And they think that that wasn't the first musical instrument. People might have been playing music before there was language, before people knew how to talk. So that's another thing. Music probably is a precursor and helps us even as children to begin to understand the patterns of language, how uh, there's basic structures. So again, in your life, when you see something you don't like, and I'm going beyond now music, be very careful when you say that has no purpose. You know, when people go, oh, you should never be jealous. Jealous, jealousy is an adaptive purpose. There is a purpose to jealousy. It's to keep you from being around deceitful people. When someone says music serves no purpose, you can pretty much be sure they're wrong. Anything that's stuck around for 50 or 100,000 years of human existence probably is there for a reason. And you got to learn to work your life around it. Like Joel Salatin told me, you know, nature laughs last. Meaning we can have our own plans and we can say, well, we want the world to be this way. But in the end of the day, the world decides, right? The world decides what and nature, quote unquote, decides what the rules are. So your best thing, your best, I think, uh, plan of action as a human right now in the modern world where we have all these things thrown at it is remembering there's a balance. For example, with music like we're talking about, the average person now is listening to, I read, 13 years of music in their life. I think that's probably too much. 13 years of music? I see people driving down the street and they're in their car and you can see them bopping their head to music, listening, dancing around. And I'm thinking, have these people remembered opportunity costs? There's an opportunity cost to music too. Nothing's cut and dry. Some people want to say music's worthless. Some people want to say music is everything. It's not that simple. It's not. If I put your head underwater, you're not going to be thinking about music. You're going to be thinking about air. Air is above the high, in the hierarchy, above music in the same way. Other things are above music. Like I said, the average person is a little bit like Karl Marx says. They're using music as an opiate, as a heroin. You know, they're using it to distract themselves. I remember a few years ago at my house, I had a, um, Scott Weiland over at my house. And some of you might remember him. He's one of the biggest rock stars of the 80s. And uh, maybe I think the early 90s, he was the lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots. And he was also a uh, Velvet Revolver with Axl Rose and... And uh, there's a famous interview where he's like, I love heroin. Like heroin 
changed my reality. And he's right. Heroin does change your reality. It's a strong drug, but it doesn't get get you where you want to go. It's like two steps forward and 40 steps backwards, right? So in the same way, obviously, I wouldn't compare listening to Jay-Z as the same as doing heroin, but they got some correlations in the sense that they can distract you. I think music is best when you use it for what it was built for. So the two, the big things is memory. So if you're like singing, if you have a little kid, sing the kid the song to remember things. It's kind of like sayings and quotes. But if you attach music on top of things that you teach, and you used to hear that, I don't think it's being done as much. People used to sing little like proverbs to their kids or sing little stories to their kids. And I think that's a, a purpose. I think that it music is good for like, I, I used to be a professional salsa dancer. I love salsa dancing and salsa dancing um, is by all measures in my experience, super healthy for you physically, right? Socially, you feel better. It's a dopamine release. So music in the context of dancing and, and that's what we evolved and adapted to use music for. So whenever you align yourself, like I said, I, I didn't tell the whole Joel Salton story when I was like 19 years old. I was at his farm and this big storm came and he lived across this river. He's a lot of you know who he is. He's a pretty famous guy now. And, uh, the water came. And washed away the bridge, this huge river. So we woke up. I've never seen, I had never seen Joel depressed, but that was the most depressed I ever saw him because it was like his farm suddenly was isolated, couldn't get food for his chickens and all this kind of stuff, couldn't get out except going across a river, fording a river. So he looked at it and he said, you know, Ty, never forget this. At the end of the day, nature laughs last. We can build all the bridges we want, but when the storm comes, if nature feels like washing it out, she does. So you always have to humble yourself. The Amish have a word called galassenheit, which means giving up to God. That's how they see it, meaning bending your knee to the will of something larger than you. I'm not talking about this even in a religious sense. I'm saying if we take music and we can find out what music was created for, what it was uh, not created in the sense of, you know, snap your fingers, but what we evolved and adapted to use music for, you can have a better life. The more you can align your life with the natural cycles, the happier you're going to be. You're going to be happier if you go to sleep when the sun goes down and wake up when the sun comes up. It's proven. There's raw science. You can't argue it. Matching the natural rhythms, the circadian rhythm of your body, you're going to feel better. Right? So in the same way, if we take music out of context, it's like a Rottweiler. Rottweiler can protect you from harm, but if you don't manage it right, it can turn around and bite you and kill you. Same way, music can kill your dreams, or if you use it right, and I'm saying one of the ways is to teach memory, to remember things. Another thing is, uh, uh, you know, movement. So when you're working out, when you're running, nothing's better than music. Like it gets your heart moving, it gets you jumping around, it gives you a boost. It's better than coffee. It's better than, you know, anything that you could take. It gets, it's a natural upper that's very natural for your brain, especially around mo movement. Other times, 
If you're in business and you need to elicit and create emotional responses from crowds, look at Tony Robbins, the speaker boy. When he gets to that important part of his speech, he turns on the music. So music can be used by when you need to uh, change the emotional state of a group of people. That's another thing. So, I mean, and I can go on and on on the, some of these adaptive reasons, but I'm going to tell you where music is a negative. And people don't like to talk about this. And I love music. I play piano. Oh, and that's the other thing. Playing a musical instrument. It's, it's, it, people, musicians have a larger cerebellum than, uh, non-musicians. They also have more gray matter in very, so now you can't necessarily say musicians are smarter, but there's a definite physical change in the brain. Plus, it's great, uh, kind of, it's a great, um, when I play the piano for me, it's a way to naturally kind of let down, go away from my left brain, my logical brain, and get into this kind of more natural state. So playing a musical instrument, I haven't even gotten into that. I mean, so many, it's interesting. This book says that since music is traditionally like a way that men attract women, oftentimes or more uh, often than not, music is played by younger people because it has a bigger reward. So if you're older, though, you can bypass that natural state of giving up on music and start playing. Sure, it's not as good as if you started when you were one, but like Joel Salatin used to say, better late than never, better late than never. Uh, my One of my piano teachers told me he started uh, teaching one person the piano at 75 years old, and they were like 82 now, and they were decent. Obviously, they're not going to be the next Mozart, but hey, they're getting some value from it. So where is music a problem? I think music's a problem if you're listening to it all day. I can guarantee you you're be succumbing to the opiate of the masses. You're a tool of Warner Brothers, Sony, all these big uh, production companies here in L.A. You are working for Justin Timberlake, Rihanna, and Justin Bieber. You are their pawn. They want you to listen to their music 24-7. They want you downloading their stuff. They want you addicted to their stuff. Like one of my favorite sayings is, if you're in a room and you don't know who the sucker is, you're the sucker. You don't ever want to be the sucker. So if you're listening to music all the time, turn it off sometimes. You don't want to be addicted. Remember, in life, if anything, you want to be the one controlling the situation. You do not want to be the one controlled by other forces, especially forces that don't have your best interest at heart. If you think uh, Kanye West has your best interest at heart, no, he doesn't. He has his own best interest, which is he's trying to protect his own, his own net worth, his own income, his own family, those people he care about. He could care less about you. I'm not saying that in a negative way that Kanye West is ruthless. My point being, he'd be happy for you to listen to his music eight hours a day. But your life would go down the tubes quick. And if you look at people, like I said, 13 years, the average person listens to music. What if you were doing something else? Now, some people would say, well, I can do two things at once. I can listen to music. BS. I'm calling BS on that. BS. There's already been a million studies which talk about how um, hard it is for people to multitask. And 100% of the time, when they actually do scientific studies on people who say they can multitask, they always underperform when they're than when they're not uh, when they are not um, multitasking. So music is multitasking. 
don't I write all the time. If I have music on, I feel my brain power go down. I like music at the right time. It's like Aristotle said about anger. Ain't being angry is easy, but being angry at the right time, the right person for the right reason, that's difficult. Listening to music and saying that it's good for you is an easy out. But the truth is listening to music at the right time, at the right place, for the right reasons. That is the good life. If you want the good life, you will have to design the good life. You will have to throw some things out of your life and keep some things in your life. Music is one of those ones. You're not, it's not going to be black and white. You're not going to throw it out of your life and you're not going to completely become the slave of music. You must find that balance. And for different people, it's different things. I would say anybody listening to more than an hour of music a day is cheating themselves. So it's up to you. If you'd rather be poor, if you'd rather be less healthy, if you'd rather have less love in your life and less happiness, go for it. Some people are self-destructive. If that's you, I have no answer for you. If your goal is to destroy your life, then just go ahead. <laughs> like I said, you're a pawn in the game then. Heroin, the opiate of the masses. Karl Marx was right 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Most people are just the masses just getting moved around. It's like, oh, you know. Kanye just put a new song out. Let me go spend my money. Let me go spend my time. It's not even money anymore. Music's almost free. But it's the focus that keeps you away from other things. Like Charlie Munger, the billionaire investor, says, life is about opportunity cost. So you can never say, oh, this was the right thing to do or this is the wrong thing to do without the context of what else could I be doing. So in those 13 years that the average person's spending listening to music, what if they could have learned Spanish, Chinese, learned to play a musical instrument, and I don't know, learned some business skills? Maybe they'd have an extra 10 million bucks in their bank account. Maybe they'd be traveling the world, you know, working with groups of people that need their skills speaking Spanish or Chinese. Maybe you'd have a six pack. Maybe you'd be amazing at basketball. Maybe you would be influencing the world and change the world. Maybe you'd have an extra million bucks in your bank account. It's not worth it. Don't let any one area of your life dominate your life, especially music. And remember, Steven Pinker is not an idiot. Okay. When he said, uh, when he says that your brain is manipulated by music, he's not wrong. He's right. I think most people would maybe say he's just took it a little too extreme. It definitely rewires the circuitry of your brain, okay? And for that reason, please take control if this applies to you. Take control back your music life. Cut it back. Do not walk around with Beats by Dre on your head all day long. You're a pawn in the machine. Dre, I think, just sold Dre, Beats by Dre, the headset comp headphone company, for like $3 billion. You made him rich. Now, is there anything wrong with wearing the headset? No, but it could be. People don't like these gray answers. They want black or white. They're like, Ty, is it good or bad? Is music good or bad? Well, that's like a child thinks. If you want to be something powerful in the world, you got to be able to read through the lines. And what I'm saying is, is that your legacy to the world, making uh, Dre $3 billion with his headsets? Are you one of his disciples wearing around? Be somebody else's disciple. Make your own music. Now, if you're a musician, you can spend more than an hour a day because you got a purpose to your music. Don't be a pawn. Don't just listen to music. Play some music. 
and be able to turn it off and be able to go a week with no music. Who cares? Test yourself. Prod yourself. Make sure you stay tough. Like I talk about in another one of my talks, you got to stay tough. Like the Spartans, they used to periodically take one person out and whip him, see if he survived. Now, that's a little bit brutal and extreme, but they were constantly testing themselves because it's one of the 25 cognitive biases. It's called the lose it or use it bias. It's a senescence bias. As we get older and we stop using things, it stops growing. It stops being tough. If you're not careful, you're going to get fatter. Every year, your metabolism drops maybe the equivalent of 50 to 100 calories a day, meaning if you eat the same as you ate when you were 18, you're going to get fatter. Same way with your brain. Your brain's naturally getting weaker and weaker. I think your IQ, uh, I've been in Mensa for many years, and I read once in Mensa magazine that 14 years old is the peak of your raw IQ. You know, this brain is strong. I remember I could remember everything at 14. You get older, you listen to this 30, 40 years later, Make sure your brain isn't slowing down too much by you just taking the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is just be entertained, be entertained all day long. Listen to music all day long. You got to be tough, a little bit of tough, and the reward is amazing. We live in a world where everybody's getting soft and everybody being weak, and even if you just do this a little bit, you will stand out from the crowd. And the law of... Economics says the only way you'll truly make profit and the only way you'll be wealthy, not just financially but in all areas, is to stand out from the crowd. So I hope this has been helpful. Check out the book. It's an amazing book. I really enjoy listening to it. And uh, here, I, I, before I end, I got you know something important. I, I would like you, because I wanted to kind of do a survey, how many hours, just leave a comment here on the page or under the video or whatever, or the audio or whatever you're listening to, whatever form you're listening to. If you could just let me know, you can even email me at ty at tylopez.com. How many hours a day have you been listening to music, okay? And how many do you think is the healthy amount? So some of you, and count total time, even if you're doing other stuff. Music on. I wouldn't count. Don't count if you're in a movie and the music movie has a soundtrack. But I'm talking about when you're listening to music, whether you're doing it alone or have a headset on while you're driving. I mean, uh, while you're exercising or driving. How many hours? I want to take a survey and I want your honest gut feeling. What's your opinion using wisdom in your brain that I believe people have if they're willing to tap into it? What do you think is the right number? Very interested. So I hope this has been helpful. If you do me, if this has been helpful for you, for you, Biggest uh, thing you could do for me, would you mind sharing this uh, on your Facebook or emailing it to any friend, uh, tylopez.com. If you have some friends, get them to join. I, I uh, Put their email in. Get on my book of the day list. For th- some of you who are on heart who don't know, I read a book a day and I write a free newsletter. The quickest way to get smarter, to get wealthier, to get more powerful, to get healthier is like what Warren Buffett says. The more you learn, the more you earn. And the quickest way to read a book a day is not to do it yourself, and I'm willing to do it for you, and it's absolutely free. So tylopez.com, please leave me that comment. Please share this message. I like to spread this message through word of mouth, grassroots, not just through advertising. All right? So stay strong. Remember, the book is called Your Brain on Music. 
I'm sorry, this is your brain on music. I keep forgetting. This is your brain on music, The Science of a Human Obsession by Daniel J. Levitin. You can check out my site, tylopez.com. I'll have a written review and a link to it on Amazon. tylopez.com. Thanks so much. Stay strong. Bye. Wrong. Bye. Wrong. Bye. Wrong. Bye.